0: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the
2: inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, welcome to the latest edition of the uh, Royal Blue Podcast as we look forward to Everton's trip to the South Coast where they uh, face Southampton at St. Mary's. I'm your host, Chris Beasley. I'm joined here in the Echo offices with uh, Adam Jones. And then remotely, we've got Paul Wheelock and uh, regular guest uh, Gavin Buckland. Um, before we actually uh, move on, uh, Ed, to so the, the weekend's action, Adam, I mean, you were at Walton Hall Park last mm-hmm. night and it was more drama for the Everton women's team and, uh, and another victory eventually.
0: Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't really a drama-filled game. like <laughs> Especially the first half. Uh, I think the only thing that happened was that there was a booking. <laughs> Lucy Graham got booked and that was essentially the only thing that happened in the first half. wasn't even any corners or anything like that. I think Leicester... Leicester came to Walton Park, still looking for their first win of the season, yeah. and uh, they c- quite clearly set up resolute in a in a similar sort of system to Everton, but they were, you know, two, both sides cancelled each other out essentially, uh, trying to high press, couldn't really break down the opposing defences. Uh, Everton only really got a foothold in the second half when they made a raft of four substitutions in two separate blocks. Uh, Hannah Bennison particularly. Uh, impressed when coming on, Gio uh, coming on as yeah, a, yeah. on the right wing. She uh, she was really impressive as well. And it took until the ninety fourth minute for uh, Hannah Benison to loop in a free kick. Uh, Leicester keeper, unfortunately for her, has tried to uh, tried to come out and claim it amongst the uh, amongst the crowd of bodies yeah. and has ended up unfortunately diverting it into a into her own net. But you know, <laughs> a, a, a huge win for. For Everton, it manages to keep that positive momentum going after the Merseyside derby. And as like I wrote in my report, you know, mm. it's, it's one of those where, you know, it, it wasn't the best performance no. at all, especially when you compare it to the way that they uh, plays at Anfield. But yeah. I think it's in those games where you really prove yourself over the course of a season. You know, haven't really played well at all there, but secured the 1 0 win. Three points is all that matters. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Three points in your first home game—you can't really, can't really complain, I don't think. Yeah, and just
2: before we we move on, I was to say, you know, it, it sold out at, at Walton Hall. No, Park? yeah, well. yeah, absolutely
0: packed to the rafters at Walton Hall yeah. Park. You know, the, the fans singing throughout. Uh, it was a really, really, as I say, positive atmosphere. and um, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 what you want from from those sorts of games. And hopefully, uh, they'll be able to continue that uh, throughout the course of the season. You know, it's 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 about to get. Yeah, Colder. Yeah. <laughs> Park. I have to say that it, was, it wasn't exactly warm last night. To be fair, and there was a sold-out crowd, and you know a lot of a lot of people there, which was nice. But yeah, let's hope they can keep that positive energy going throughout the winter months to yeah. uh, to warm people up while they're
2: there. Yeah, excellent. Right, Paul. It wasn't the only late development last night. um In terms of your your shift before um, you joined us at our weekly football game later later on in, in the evening. Uh, more, more takeover talks. I mean, it came out the blue, didn't it? I suppose.
3: Yeah, yeah. I I was on till eleven seven, so I didn't have to work too extra. Uh, felt for poor Joe Thomas, an Everton who had his coat and bag on, ready to go home to see mm-hmm. his family when the news dropped. I think it was just after five o'clock. Yeah.
0: yeah.
3: Uh, I don't think any of us saw it coming, did we? Really, because mm-hmm. uh, uh Mishary's second second open uh, letter or statement. In the yes. summer, seemed to to draw the line under the fact that, you know, Everton were not up for sale. These talks were not continuing. So, yeah, it it, it did come as a bit of a shock. And particularly given the source of uh, the news story, the Financial yeah. Times, you know, I'm, I don't think they, you wouldn't expect them to take a flyer, uh, maybe to, you know, to, to try and find a better turn than that. But, yeah, that, that's that's what gave it credibility, didn't it? But, really, I, I can't speak for Joe because, obviously, he's not here today. He's going to be going down to South with some of you guys, but, he's checked it out from both sides uh and you know certainly from from the Kaminsky side of it it seems that that yes there's still interest there and that they are saying that talks are you know are continuing but certainly there doesn't seem to be you know as strong as the line as to what the financial times are saying that it's it's close to being done you know but it's it it's, it's just confusing isn't it you know with as a club We've had a really positive few weeks, you know. I think six unbeaten in all competitions, or is it seven? You know, certainly not lost in the league since Villa. Uh, it seems to have settled down a bit, and this is it's just muddied the waters a little bit. But you know, as me and you were speaking after football and yeah. before football last night, Chris. Obviously, there's still questions about how the the stadium is going to be funded, private. So you you can understand why Mr. Macheri may be looking down those avenues as he said he would have done. But yeah, in terms of a takeover, I thought this. This is
2: all down quiet, but it's, it's just raised a few questions again. Yeah, Gav, does it concern you that something like that comes out the way it does? I mean, Mr. Mashiri as Paul has said, um, was quite emphatic in his second open letter of the summer, cl- claiming the club wasn't for sale after they'd had that period of exclusivity. So there obviously was something going on there. And now, um, it's so, supposedly back on the table. I mean, the, the phrase was advanced talks, but then the echo understands that there's nothing imminent
1: don't think don't know how these things actually come out to be honest with you don't they yeah. just come out by somebody uncover something or something, yeah. you know there's a there's a way that somebody's ear that there's plans afoot so um i think you know whichever way you know you you, you know you'll always find out as for as i think the timing here is everything isn't it we all know the pre- present economic conditions in this country and what it's meant for the pound and It means if yeah. you if you've got dollars dollars to uh, spend in England you can get you know get stuff that you probably now what you got 10 percent less than what you would have got a four in the summer maybe more so I think the timing here is is the biggest clue isn't it uh really um and um, that's where where I'm coming from as for Macheri's letter I go back to what i was saying before my house is not for sale, but if somebody comes yeah. in and gives me more than the asking price, then I'm, I'm going to have a discussion, aren't I? So I think um, I wouldn't lead too much into, into Farhad's letter. He's basically mm. saying it's not for sale unless somebody that's comes in cool. with a lot more than what I'm expecting for the club, then I'll talk to them, which is what's happened in, what, what's happened in the summer. And at, that's, at the end of the day, that's his gift, isn't it? <laughs> you know, He owns whatever it is, percentages of the business. Um, he, uh, it's within his gift to, to choose. I'm just wondering whether if you, maybe if you did want to sell it, it's, we all know, as I say, going back to the current economic position, whether there's perhaps something in getting the funding for Bramley Moore is, is a bit of an issue at the moment, given the the state of the, the economy and the, and the pound and so on. Yeah.
2: Adam, not I mean, your thoughts on, on, on the issue, like I said, it it, it had it, it been put to bed mm. <laughs> in the summer and then it raised its head again. Well, it's quite strange, isn't it? Yeah. Because,
0: I mean, at least from the majority of our perspective, it doesn't really seem to have changed all that much from the yeah. position since July. I mean, uh, I think the position that the, you know, that consortium always had was that they were, you know, still in some sort of discussions yeah. with Mr. Machiri and that, you know, that still seems to be the case. I'm not sure how... How they can be described as advanced or anything like that, just because yeah. just because you continue to talk over a few months, I suppose yeah. that? Does that count as advancing? Yeah. Well, it, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a grey area. But I think Gav's right in what he says, isn't it? I think it'd be silly for Mashiri to not entertain these sorts of conversations if you know if he does think that it's a valuation that he could potentially be interested in, then you know it'd be it'd be wrong for him to not at least entertain the conversation and just yeah. see where it goes i think the, the the important point at the minute is that the economy is absolutely in the mud <laughs> right yeah. now thanks to uh thanks to the uh, lovely conservative government <laughs> so uh, I, I just don't see how how these how these conversations are gonna uh, are gonna continue going forwards it, it, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me but Yeah, as I say, I'm in a in a quite similar position to Gab. I probably wouldn't read all that much into it at the minute. I think it's these are these are discussions that you know with this kind of thing, they likely go on for a while anyway. We've got you know the the issue of funding a new stadium involved in not uh, as well as you know the actual sale of the club Mm -hmm. as well. So you you you've got to wonder how that uh, factors into the whole valuation that might transpire as well. So. It just, it doesn't seem to me like it'd be any sort of quick fix or anything no. like that, and I'm, I'm not really even sure if it's something that far <laughs> has to come out and address directly, you know, as he did in the summer. Yeah, you know, it, I don't think the position has really actually changed all that much from mm-hmm. from that stage. So I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's even anything that he will, has or even has to come out and address. So yeah, it's it, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a murky gray area at the minute. I think it's one that you know. Perhaps for now can just be brushed to the back of the mind, and we can focus on matters on the pitch.
2: Yeah. Well, what has changed, Paul, is that um, still Mr. Kaminsky um, heading these talks, but John Faunton and Peter Kenyon understand that are, are no longer involved. I mean, but back in the summer, I mean, it was something we discussed last night. Mm-hmm. And, um, people were perhaps interested and want to know more about um, this group, but is is it a case of Mr. Mashiri? He's made mistakes as he's admitted to in the in, in the first of his open letters and uh, a, a lot of that money that he's in, invested his own money into the club has, has largely been squandered. But we know that he is at least ambitious, uh, um, he said to really learn on the job and has had some painful mistakes on the way. But is it almost a case of better the devil you know?
1: Yeah, <laughs>
2: I think so. I
3: think so. I'd like to know more. I know we did a bit of a profile piece on <clears throat> Kaminsky last night, but you know mm. reading around the subject uh, dave powell's our business football writer at the echoes wrote about it quite extensively in the summer I'd, I'd like to know more about how he would fund a takeover everton if 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 it was to prove to be the case i think with for hard i think you know I, I do believe his heart is in the right place i do believe that you know he has tried to take everton on and like you know the development that we've with the point we've got with the stadium, that will be his legacy. If he gets that mm. done, that will be his legacy. You know, no one else in the, the history of Everton football could be able to deliver that. And it, it, it hopefully will transform, you know, the club's fortunes and it's, it's and, and it completely transformed the future, hopefully. But I think the big, the big criticism he's had is, it's really, it's probably, it's on the field, isn't it? You know, like, yeah. as you rightly said, you know, the, the recruitment has been poor. It seems to have been confused seems to have too many people have had the say in it. Whereas probably now, that's why I, I, I think Adam and, and Gav are right, you know, probably should take this this latest report with a pinch of salt. But it's just, it feels like for the first time in a while, this seems to be real joined up thinking at the club. I don't know whether it's because, you know, for year he's taking more of a step back on that or he's just looked at this strategic review the club's had and said, OK, we need to put the power in the hands of Kevin Fellwell and to probably to a lesser extent Frank Lampard, but obviously having a big say in it. And I think that is the way we've got to go, you know, in, in, in whoever's in control of the club. And I think hopefully he's learned some lessons. It may probably the self-inflicted lessons, aren't they? Maybe we've had to get to this point because we can't spend the money we've we've, we've had in them all, because you know the, the trouble we've had with financial fair play or the dangers with that. So I'm hoping he has he's learned from the better. But you know, to answer your initial question, Chris, yeah. I think I think I you can't do a a project as big as as, as the Everton Stadium, be really more dark without outside funding. I imagine so. I'm sure yeah. that we're going to hear more from this going going ahead. But from what I've heard about the Peminski Group in terms of a full takeover, no, I, I think I'd rather rather stick with uh, Mr. McSherry for now.
2: Yeah, Gav, I guess there's a couple, couple of uh, major issues here. Paul just mentioned uh, the stadium funding issue because any sort of takeover of the club would also have to. Involve how is the stadium going to be financed as well so you're not just got the the, the money for the club but the, the money for the stadium mm-hmm. as well um, and we've mentioned about that the background of, of, of these people i mean the days of local boy don't do good your jack walkers coming in there they're long gone now and we can't expect somebody who's you know been in the boys pen with bill kenwright to suddenly find a few billion in his pocket and take over the club so we have to be realistic about that but again
1: it's it's, it's another potential us owner coming into the premier league yeah i mean i think it's pretty well yeah, yeah i think it's pretty well known fact isn't it that they view in the u.s um premier league clubs as being undervalued compared to clubs in american sports yeah. significantly undervalued i don't necessarily agree with that by the way um and um hence why they want to invest i do have this Dystopian view of the future that like every club in the the Premier League is owned by an American owner and they then run it like the NFL. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that though, though that's um, not ne- that's a nightmare vision. It's not necessarily something that actually remains there. In, the, in fact, you don't need twenty owners; you only need fourteen, don't you? Yeah, um, yeah. You have this view of like fourteen agreeing to buy twenty Premier League clubs and then change the whole constitution of the of the Premier League and and I don't don't think that's um, that's an unrealistic statement to make Um, and and, I think there's a lot of things going on here it's the widening it's the undervaluation of Premier League clubs according to the index used to uh, value American clubs it's seeing you know getting a lot of American investors in Premier League clubs you know opens that um, avenue for change and I do think at the moment, the weakness in the economy makes it good for if you're an American owner to, to buy British. And um, I think yeah. if you throw them three or four things into the pot and mix them all around, mm-hmm. you, you get to where we are at the moment. Um, and I think it's, it's there's, a, there's a far wider point here about the direction of football's is going, isn't it, really? And um, it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that we've got a lot of American interest at the, at the moment and. British football for, for all those reasons.
0: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: We move on to more comfortable ground for us—the actual football and uh, St Mary's uh, tomorrow. and uh, Frank's press <coughs> conference was was yesterday, and, and he's, as expected, he's been asked about um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, and his his fitness. I mean, how, how would you you play it now with Dominic Calvert-Lewin? How do you see it going forward? Well, I think he's he, he's in a more preferable
0: position right now than you know he was throughout last season with his yeah. injury. I would I would suggest, in fact, that. Everton do have somebody who can play up front yeah. uh, in, in his stead, in Neil Mopé, who has you know started his Everton career very well, yeah. uh, I would argue. And, and to be honest, even if Dominic Calvert-Lewin was fully fit, you'd think Mopé would yeah. would start regardless. So I think that's that's the difference this time around for me. And that's why I'm not particularly concerned about, you know, obviously he's he suffered, do you call it a setback over, over the course of the international break? He felt some tightness. Yeah. In a training session, and you know he was just he was just under closer supervision by the medical staff than he perhaps would have been. Uh, so it, it will be interesting to see whether he's involved in the squad uh, against Southampton. I think if if I'm Frank Lampard, I'm probably in the position where I go if there's any doubt over him at all, I probably just don't involve him yeah. because Everton haven't really been involved uh, like allowed that luxury. Uh, For a long, well, since calvert first got that injury in August last year, you really haven't had that luxury at all. Like as soon as he was fit, you had to go right, throw him straight back in and just see what he can do. And probably that's where his lots of problems have uh, arisen from. So if there's an opportunity to give him, you know, maybe an extra week off and perhaps that is the thing that, you know, allows him to have a few months of consistent game time rather than, you know, a few weeks and then, Maybe just before the World Cup, he picks up another sort of injury. Uh, you know, obviously, it's hard to predict when somebody's going to get injured uh, with something like this. But I think, yeah, thankfully, Everton are in a position now where they don't, in my opinion at least, they don't yeah. really need to take that risk on Calvert Lewin. If, if there is doubt on him, you know, Neil Mopé is going to be absolutely fine for this weekend's game. And I would argue he starts anyway. Maybe Calvert Lewin only gets the last 15 minutes if he's on the bench regardless. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether he's involved at all this weekend, but I was I would suggest that if there's any doubt, then you know just just save him from Man United, in my opinion.
2: I mean, uh Paul, uh Joe asked Adam and myself the same question earlier in the week, but it it's interesting to get your thoughts on yeah. it. I mean, firstly, w- would you go with Mope rather than Carl Lewin? And are you concerned with the way that Everton seemingly wrapping him in Cotton wool, like uh, the way he was so robust, durable a couple of years ago, and just the way that Frank seems to be treating him now.
3: Yeah, there's a there's a level of concern, and it's it, it's a level of concern for the player as well because he went on record, didn't he, how tough a season it was for a variety of reasons for him last year, and it you know it, it seems reading Frank Lampard's latest quotes in uh, on overnight our 10:30 piece last night that he was, was absolutely flying on the United States tour, looking brilliant. I was at the, the Kiev games, got a great yeah. header. looked really good. He did look really good against Palace, I thought as well, I thought he was excellent in that game. And and, and probably before the, descending sending off against Brentford at home. So it, it sounds like this was a serious injury he picked up, you know, and that had to have been a massive setback for him, given, given what, given what happened, you know, last season. So, I think that key quote, what Frank said, then he said, it's not it's not playing it safe. It's just playing it with you And we've got, uh, obviously, there's, we all want him back as Evertonians. He's the number nine. He's, you know, he's, he, when he's fit and firing, he's a brilliant striker for this club. uh But I think we've got duty to the player as well. and we recur a duty to the player as well. We've got to make sure when he's back, he's truly back because you don't want to get in a cycle of coming back, having a setback, coming back because you. I know you've seen that with players, you know, even, even like someone who used to play across the park from like Daniel Sturridge, you don't want to see that happening, you know, you you don't want to see setback after setback after setback and the fact that Neil Morphe come in, he's a proper centre forward, he's got a great goal last time out. I, if, if there's any doubts about Calvert-Lewin for this weekend whatsoever, don't risk him. Uh, but it does sound from what Frank was saying that if not this Saturday, he'll certainly be back for the United game uh, the, the Sunday after. You know, yeah, we've, it's just a shame we didn't have that safety net earlier in the season in those first three or four games, because who knows how many more points we could possibly have. Well, that's that's been and gone now. But no, I I, I do agree with Frank's Frank's words that it's best just just to just to take a bit of care. Of. Yeah.
2: Paul, if he if he is fit, would you still go with would you still go with Mope now? Sorry, yeah, probably didn't answer your question, mate. Yeah. yeah, I would, I would, I'd go with Mope again. Yeah, yeah, and about um. You, Gav, I mean, Gav, you've spoken quite extensively on now. Um, all of a sudden, now, um, Calvert Lewin's of a certain age, he's no longer a youngster, and if yeah. injuries start to to um, creep up on you, um, uh, how important do you think it is for Everton this season to have a fit and firing Dominic Calvert Lewin? It's very important because yeah. I know Mopey's come in and done well, but we've got
1: a We've not exactly got a surface of options up front have we and 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 the good the good thing about Calvert-Lewin and Mopay is they're both two completely different types of strikers so collectively they've got they cover off most of what you wanted in a striker but they haven't got that all them skills individually yeah Calvert-Lewin's good in the air Pacey maybe hasn't got the awareness of what's going on around them and capable of bringing other players in and playing a little bit off the cuff. Where Mopay will work really hard, has got an appreciation of players around them. That got I me mean, as several people have said, uh, mentioned, that goal against West Ham, that Cavalooom would never score a goal like that. Yeah. It's not that type of player that and that's hasn't got that strikers instinct. So collectively they've got all the strikers' um characteristics that you want but Not as one person, so you need both. Um, I, I, as much as as much as our, you know, if that if Calvin, Cal, Cal, Calvin Lewis, Calvin, <laughs> um, he was a he was another one, that was Calvin Smith. I'll well, get Calvin Smith and Carl Lewis <laughs> up there through Never like Slayer. Um, if Calvin Lewin played, I wouldn't necessarily mean that's more paid drop, by the way. You think it could actually be a strike partnership? Yeah, or classic big man's playing as part of a three. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I think that at some point that is an option that we may want to consider this season. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. Going back to your original question, yeah. vital for us to have a fit and fire and Carver uh this season. The concern I've got at the moment is Frank's also saying the same thing he said the fortnight ago, isn't he?
3: Yeah.
1: Around his fitness. So, though, we might be won't be, you know, maybe for West Ham, but it'll be given an extra fortnight and it would be ready for Southampton. He's now saying, oh, not so sure about Southampton, leave it till yeah. Man United. I just hope there's something not going on there that, you yeah. know, is, is being kept, kept away from people for, for lots of different reasons. I just I just hope it is what Frank is saying. It mm-hmm. is, and that is just maybe just being extra cautious and maybe Mope coming in and doing well Across a couple of games, you probably think I've got a little bit of breathing space here. I can I can work with the player to get him fit and firing.
2: Yeah. I mean, Gav, you mentioned you, they could play as, as a partnership, but would, would Mopay be your choice tomorrow?
1: If, oh, you know? oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think if Frank's, I mean, especially because we're away from home at Southampton, if it was a home game, perhaps. I know it sounds daft, that. um I just hope it's a little bit. A little, less windy going to Southampton than what it was last year, I think. Uh, was, it the, was that the, the game
2: <laughs> that was... <laughs> bringing back horrible memories. Trauma, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most yeah. Um, um, traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the midst of Storm Eunice. Yeah. Oh. Um, so, let's hope it's Storm Neil at the, uh, <laughs> the Southampton tomorrow. Yeah, I, I think all day long we'll play tomorrow. I yeah. think Calvert well,
2: The thing that Frank um, was asked about, Adam, was James Garner because obviously they mm-hmm. paid a lot of money bringing him in. Hasn't played yet and did well for the un- under twenty ones in midweek. I mean that's all great, but would you stay keeping that same midfield or would you find a way of bringing Garner in? I think if you're going to keep
0: if you're going to keep the same system, like if we're presuming that Seamus Coleman is just going to come in at right back, for example, yeah. rather than you know madly switching it up and putting he'll Woby right wing back which again is, or something like that. Gone. But like let's let's. If he's if he's going to keep the same system, then yeah, I, I don't think there's any real need to change the midfield at the minute because I think those three worked really well in tandem uh, against West Ham. I thought it was really interesting to see that it wasn't just Iwobi pushing forward from that midfield three. Onana was getting himself into the box yeah. uh, out of possession. Garner was pressing uh, almost alongside Mope yeah. in like a in like a four four two style of football. So. Realistically, I think given how well they performed last time out, I don't think there's any real need to change that. But I think Lampard's comments on James Garner were were really interesting. It was nice to have that little look uh, behind the curtain, almost uh, you know his conversation with him as soon as he joined, and yeah. you know playing himself admitted that he probably wasn't as fit as he needed to be, thanks to you know him looking for a move, yeah. Uh, toward the end of his time at Manchester United, so yeah, he, he just wasn't in training as much as he, were, as he was having conversations about a potential transfer. It was really important for him to get those minutes under his belt for the 21s. I think he played really, really well in that game as well, uh, playing as sort of a, a number six in and, and more of a defensive midfield role. Uh, for them, I thought that was really promising and I think hopefully over the coming weeks we get to see him come off the bench and maybe, maybe prove Prove himself in that sense, and you know if he continue if he performs like that off the bench in the coming weeks, then yeah, I think there's a conversation to be had about what Everton's best midfield trio might be in that scenario. But at the minute, I do just think that it's it's a situation where if it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I think Everton's midfield three against West Ham did look so good, not just as individuals in the way they played, but how they linked together in tandem. And I think it would be a shame to try and break that up as much as Garner could be, you know, one for the future and he could be a phenomenal talent in a couple of years time. And you obviously want to give him that chance to progress in that sense. I do think there's (laughs) the arguments is there as well, that they're actually playing quite well in midfield at the minute. I don't think there's any, there's any uh, drastic need to try and change that, especially with this, you know, being an away game and, one that Everton just need to get points out of. I think just stick with what we know for the minute and uh, and uh, see how that goes. But I think you know the 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 performance that Garner put in for the twenty ones was promising enough for me to suggest that you know you could get a few appearances off the bench in the coming weeks.
2: And fingers crossed, he might be able to force his way into that midfield. Yeah, I mean, Paul, that midfield um, against West Ham was the first time, obviously, the trio being together. I mean, did you like the balance of that? Did, would that be your choice going forward?
3: Yeah, 100%. It was the first time they've all started together, wasn't it? Because yeah, uh, yeah. Vanagay came off the bench in the derby. Uh, I think you did a piece, didn't you? Uh, after the game, I'll be showing the underlying kind of stats of how well yeah. they dovetailed together. And I thought, they just looked so at home. And I thought it was pretty telling because we lost 1-0 to West Ham last season, didn't we? And I thought Rice and Suchek really ran the show. I thought they looked really, really strong. And I thought, last time out, that wasn't the case. I thought we, we won the midfield battle. And they do seem to complement each other so well. I suppose one thing that potentially they could be lacking, maybe asking a bit too much too soon, is goals. But, you know, that looks like uh, a really good uh, three there. And it, it's interesting what you said about Garner because I know you wrote about it Chris, after the press conference yesterday and it's clearly mm. Lampard sees him as a player for now and the future. And you just wonder what that might mean for Decore, right? Because it, it seems to be Garner is one of those players who can play in different positions but I've heard he's a box-to-box midfielder and, like, We've gone from a position of weakness in centre midfield to a real position of strength because we've we've got six players there, including Tom Davis. And I think he's a, a decent squad player. And from what Frank Lampard was saying yesterday, I think he's going to try and keep him around. Uh, and if it, I just don't think six into three goes long term, if that's how we play. And certainly not going to sign Garner and then imagine loan him out next season. So I, I wonder what that means for the core. Eh? But, you know, yeah, I've seen a bit of him for England and 21. sort of really promising. i we watched him for Forest last year. Everyone was saying they were gutted Daily game on a permanent basis. And I know you can't take that, you know, he's well, going to be great for us. But the reaction from Forest fans was, yeah, we were really shame we've not signed him this season. So, yeah, I, I, I imagine the game time he'll get is if there's another injury or, or maybe some time off the bench, maybe in the Bournemouth Cup game in a... In a month or so's time, because I thought those three against West Ham were brilliant, and if they can keep up those kind of level of performances, I, I think they'll take some budget out the team.
0: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: Yeah, Gav, it's staggering, really, in that you know the, Frank Lampard when he first came in, he was struggling to get a, a couple of midfielders on the pitch any one time, and then all of a sudden now alan has gone because he was. De facto seventh choice given that there were six in the matchday squad ahead of him against West Ham. I mean, obviously, over a long s- season, there are different conditions and different matches that you want. But do you see the current trio, um, being the pre- like predominant combination that he'll use, or do, do you think that the, 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 he will just sort of uh move it around as, as the season goes along? Um, I think the latter, uh,
1: yeah. um, I think. I think, the pro, I, I think we spoke about this the other week, didn't we? I think for what, we, what Frank wants in the team now, because it's still relatively early in the season and we're picking up points, but we've only won what one game is, you yeah. know, those goes back to our, still addressing the weaknesses of last season, which is effectively, whatever many goals we conceded, 66, 68, whatever it is, yeah. is that needs to stop. We need to get the goals conceded right down, which we have done. And that's been basically with a four or five-man defence and, and a midfield that's, I think still relatively defensive the way it's set up, um, but in the longer term, for us to, to push on, we need to have a little bit more imagination in the in the middle of the park. And I think it, it's it's like I said this other week that classic midfield of of a, a somebody who's a six, somebody who's an eight who'll get up and down the pitch and put fires out, and somebody who's a ten who'll, who'll, who'll create things in around the. Round the Opposition box and and but between the ten and eight have a goal threat. Don't yeah. think we've got that at the moment. We said that today, yeah. um, and that's where I think Ghana comes in. I mean, if, you, if you're being pretty honest, I think it's a really good midfield. We've got we've got no goals. <laughs> You've got no goals. We you know that, that's it. But you want you haven't got a Tim Kale or somebody like that from midfield when he mm-hmm. first game We we'll score you ten goals a season. You know collectively, I don't think there's many goals there, and that. Going forward for us to push on, that's the type of thing that we need to to have. And so I, I think eventually we'll see a three of Garner, as in James Garner, yeah. as a six, anana as an eight, and then as a ten. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I don't think it will Woby's going to get you many goals. Interesting to see. I read last week that we're after an attacking midfielder in um, in January. You, yeah, there's an argument to say that of the three at the moment, going forward, the only one who's guaranteed the place is probably Onana. Yeah, and um I think I, I fully agree with that because to push on and for us to be in and around the top eight, that's the type of thing we need from our midfield. I think at the moment, great for what we want to do, keep it tight, not concede, accumulate points without really being too ambitious. But going forward to kick on, and I'm talking six, eight months down the line here. I mean, it shows about Premier League safety. Someone a bit different, someone a bit more adventurous. We can start scoring more goals than what we're doing at the moment. Yeah. And,
2: and, so I'm talking about goals, scoring goals, but when it comes to uh, not conceding goals, uh, Jordan Pickford had, had another great night for England in, in that he didn't play. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and uh, again, it's all uh, it's clamour for him to supposedly be di- di- displaced. It. I and mean, it's something, I think, the hat trick yourself, Joe, and myself—we all tweeted on it afterwards. Yeah. Imagine if if Pickford had made that mistake and yeah. uh, Lampard said, "Good news, he's, he's back um, mm-hmm. tomorrow." But yeah, again, um, this idea that Jordan Pickford—he's he's not missed until he's not there. One of his understudies makes a, a blooper. Well, that's it. Like <laughs> I,
0: I think I'm 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 beyond <laughs> this conversation at the, at this point now, and Get i you. Yeah, f- fingers fingers crossed. I hope Jordan Pickford is kind of. Yeah. Beyond thinking about this at this point, because the narrative just won't go away. Like he's mm. he's he's performed, you know, consistently, uh, consistently well for Everton for probably nine on twenty months now. You, yeah. you 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 would argue, but you you know, you just see so many. You know, I would almost understand if it was fans of other clubs who you know maybe just don't watch Everton and they maybe yeah. still had this narrative around them. But you know, there's national there's like actual like national publications and national journalists who are still saying these things about Jordan Pickford and it's just like come on like watch him <laughs> that's all you yeah. need to do is watch him he was he was Everton's player of the season by a mile last year yeah because he was absolutely phenomenal and consistent in how well he was performing as well so it, I just think the, the conversation whenever it comes to England just absolutely baffles me and it is really really good news that he's that he's fit again and he'll be able to play against Southampton, and that's not 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 to discredit Asmir Begovic at yeah. all, because I think he had a really solid performance against West Ham, and I think he is solid backup. But you know, Jordan Pickford has the capability of producing those spectacular saves that you know there's a handful of goalkeepers in the world might be able to produce. Azmir Begovic isn't one of those handful of yeah. of goalkeepers, so. know jordan pickford whenever he's in the team he's a leader from the back as well you know you can you can really tell he's grown into that role yeah the captain's armband for a reason at the start of the year so yeah i I just think it's it's really good news for everton that he's that he's back in in the fold and i really do hope that he you know maybe he can even just have a a little bit of a laugh (laughs) at -hmm. at this point at the at the narrative that keeps following following him around uh, when england comes around because uh, let's be honest if he's fit For the World Cup he's playing for England in the World Cup like that's that's just the way it is and he's going to absolutely deserve his place in that World Cup as well so fingers crossed he keeps himself fit over the next few weeks continues to put in the consistent performances that we've been expecting of him and yeah let's let's just hope we can like after this World Cup and a a really solid World Cup for Jordan Pickford we can actually leave this conversation in the past because personally I am sick of it at this point
2: Paul does it surprise you because OK, there were, there were the Liverpool reasons, there was Virgil van Dijk, and that's a long time ago now. And like Adam says, it's not just coming from, from the Liverpool quarters, but there the, the, was the clamour for Ramsdale last season, and then he shipped four against Hungary. I think there was a question mark for all four of those goals if you look back at them. And then obviously what Pope did um, this, this week. I mean, does it surprise you that it's still such an issue?
3: No, no, because I think it's just always going to be this way, even though it's absolutely ridiculous. Fans, rival fans, yeah, it's got, especially online, you've got to expect it. But I think there's a lot of journalists, high-profile ones, you know, not just club writers and things like that, you know, really should know better because anyone who's watched Pickford, as Adam said, for the last 20 months, certainly since, you know, when Carlo Ancelotti swapped in with Robin Olsen for a few games, Mm. his form by and large has been Excellent for Everton, and if you want to dig into the data, you, like you look at Everton, is it the second best uh, second best goals against record uh, this year in the league? But I think even like the, the the kind of deeper stats, I think Pickford by far away is the top goalkeeper. Everton would have conceded, should have been expected to have conceded a lot more goals this season, and that they haven't is down to Pickford. And you know, taking away his Everton form. are they did they not watch him for England? <laughs> like you know, did they not watch him for England? Like. He, I, I can't think there was a game in Spain, a Nations League game, where I think England went three up and then nearly lost it at the end, I think 3-2, and I think I think he had a few shaky moments. But this is the goalkeeper that's helped England into a World Cup semi-final and a European Championship final, and there's probably been in the top two or three goalkeepers in both of those tournaments. I think it's really disrespectful from Germans, to be honest, you know, who cover the national teams. I don't know whether it's just a, you know an easy click, you know, or it's like, you see, I think it was like one of the, Sky Sports, or another national broadcaster doing a, a poll on who should start for England, like, there shouldn't be a debate now, there shouldn't be the debate now about it, and like, yeah, it, it, I think Nick Pope's a fine goalkeeper, I think Ramsdale's a fine young goalkeeper, but they are not as good as Jordan Pickford, and like, the problem is, he he probably, like all goalkeepers, he probably will make a mistake for Everson, maybe before the World Cup, he may make a mistake for Uh, for England at the World Cup but I think what he's done in an England shirt and particularly in an Everton shirt over these you know these last couple of seasons justifies his place for a number one but I think I think Adam's right I'm fed up sick about talking about it but I think we're just going to have to continue talking about it because it just seems like uh, an easy thing to to do particularly on social media on Twitter you know whenever England play
2: Gav it seems to be the most natural thing in the world to think that uh, there's a paranoia about your particular football club or everyone's Against <laughs> you. Um, but you suggested in the past perhaps there's some sort of um uh, deeper reasoning behind
1: yeah. this, this prejudice with Pickford. Yeah, yeah, where he's from. Background, some of his behaviour. I think um yeah, there's been a couple things he's not done himself any favours. I think he I think if he's from other parts of the country, I don't think he got the same stick. I think it's Sorts of the same things that have afflicted people like Wayne Rooney in the past, possibly Ross Rock, Rock Barkley, um, you know that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but but the sort of it's your background and you know your social background, I and mean, which part of the country you're from, I think uh, definitely comes into it. If if jo- Jordan came come from say Beefy Surrey mm-hmm. or Hampshire. I don't think you get the the same stick and, and, and I think that 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 thinking not just applies to Jordan Pickford as a football, it applies to lots of people in sport generally and beyond sports. And I think there's definitely definitely some of that in it. Um I'm just fed up with the whole thing now. I don't know which you're more fed off, fed up of people saying that Pickford should be questioned as England's number one. And these type of conversations we, we we have conversations about people questioning whether Pickford mm. should be number one. It's just yeah. it's a sort of feeding off again, they feed off each other, don't comes like some sort of iterative process. Um, yeah, yeah, I I definitely think so. With with Jordan, I think it, it it there's 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 some deeper, deeper stuff going on there. Uh I mean I think you know Raheem Sterling is another player, isn't he? He's had yeah. that sort of stick. Um I think that there's 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 uh, definitely a I won't say a class thing, there's a certain bling thing maybe going on. I, I just think uh it's 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 reflective of how, how the media and we are part of the media and I'm doing a podcast, it, it covers these type of stuff, which you need to remember. And I, I think with Pickford, I think it's definitely definitely applies. But let's face it, I mean put it this way, where would you rank in Premier League goalkeepers top three? Potentially. Yeah. yeah. With, with uh Allison and Addison and Addison your keeper you Between top three. Can't think of anybody who you'd have in a top three apart from them 3 would you in the Premier League at the moment? The no. high is, is okay, but it's he's even fits and starts, hasn't he, over the last few years? But uh, I think he'd be top three or four Pickford, which is considering the other two odds possibly the two best goalies in the world or thereabouts, is uh is saying something, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There
2: we go. Well, Gav has mentioned leafy Hampshire. There, Uh, we're going to a not so leafy part of Hampshire (laughs) tomorrow. (laughs) So, it's predictions time. Um, Southampton, Everton. How do you uh, lead us off? What are you reckon for that one?
0: It's not been an easy hunting ground for Everton traditionally over the last uh, recent years, has it? Um, I think a one-one draw. I th- and I had to be honest, I'd take a 1-1 draw yeah. from from that kind of game. Uh, especially, like, coming off the back of the international break. Probably wasn't the best time. The international break would have preferred Everton to be able to build up a little bit of a yeah. head of steam. But, yeah, I think a little 1-1 draw. Just to prove Gav wrong, it will be getting on the score
2: sheet. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> there we <go>. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I was just speaking about
1: will be score goals. It's the amount of goals that he scores. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: we are going. I will stick
3: with, I'll stick I'll go with Paul keep with the running order. Paul, what do you reckon? Yeah, a bit of a test this one for us, isn't it? You know, had a great run of results up until the international break, or not great, but two good couple of away points, really good performance in the derby and then the win against West Ham. I think this is a bit of a good good indicator of how far we've come because or how far not how far we've come, how much we're progressing. Uh, because mm. Southampton away, as you, you said then, guys, like it's traditionally quite a tough place for us to go. Uh but I'm confident, and I, I, I might fancy a one 0 Everton win tomorrow. Well, there we go. What about you, Gav?
1: Uh, going to win 3 0 It will be. all the, <laughs> <laughs> guy, you know, the score tomorrow. <laughs> 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 I, I, it's going to be low score, and is it? Is it? How many goals have we scored now? Seven? Get is it ten? Oh. Something like that. Yeah. You know, our, not
2: score t- more than one
1: have they in any in, yeah in yeah game. so you're talking back on the, the the story so far see it's not going to be high scoring game I, i'm going to go with Everton minimum one nil i just i just can't see us conceding many at the moment for the reasons uh mentioned and i'm going to get Everton one one nil and mopey again i just would that be a big game because it's a brighton and southampton they've got a bit of a rivalry going haven't they i think yes. over the years yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think he'll be up for that, won't he? Uh, so one 0 I'll even mention the goal scorer multi for me. Wow!
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess I've got to stay positive. There, <laughs> I mean, we, we've not got Joe Thomas on to us today. He's, he's normally ridiculously positive; yeah. he's not been ground down like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, why not? I, I've got to go there with Joe. So um, yeah, I'll, I'll say I'll say one nil as well so yeah it's pretty positive there yeah the emphatic considering everton's record down there on the south coast hopefully we're correct um obviously uh, either way we'll be discussing it um, next week um and then our next pod but that's all for today um i've been your host chris beasley joined by adam jones paul wheelock and gavin buckland and this has been the royal blue podcast
0: you've been listening to the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo